welcoming everybody to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built. And we are a podcast of Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at burnorangenation.com. If you like what we do, please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. Helps get the show out there. Share this with your friends where you found it, whether it was Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, anywhere where you find fine podcast content. You can find Kyle and myself. Connect with us on social media at LonghornPod on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, The Longhorn Republic, or shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. My name is Gerald Goodridge. I'm your host this week, like I am every week. And I'm joined by my good friend, co host, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? Oh, I'm good, Gerald. Uh, it's 80 degrees in December, which is weird, but otherwise, you know, it's uh, beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Maybe we're having it's holiday party season, right? My my company, my wife's company, my client, uh, each of my three different teams. It's great. I'm getting free dinners and lunches out of it. So it's, uh, you know, favorite time of the year. It is really the most wonderful time of the year. The weather outside is far from frightful, at least for the next few hours, and then it will inevitably. Apparently, there's an Arctic blast coming through this week, which is just great uh, for everybody involved, especially those who are relying on the Texas power grid to not freeze. Uh, we are normally start this off with uh, jokes, but we've got a lot to talk about today, starting with we've got something that's that's not fun to talk about off the top that leads us into kind of our conversation today but before we get into that we've obviously got some basketball to talk about actual basketball not the basketball coach uh, we've also got mike roach coming on today to help us out with a recruiting preview national signing day will be this time next week so mike's going to help us preview the last big recruiting weekend ahead of early signing day we've obviously got some awards handed out for uh, in the football realm some commitments uh, volleyball continues to be the most consistent, uh, probably the second most com- consistent team on campus. Uh, women's basketball got some good news and some bad news. We'll obviously close the show out with Burn Orange Lenses, Godzilla Tron, and all that fun and bang the drum stuff. So the big story, and there's no beating around the bush about it, Texas basketball coach uh, Chris Beard was arrested early Monday morning, about 4 in the morning, uh, for a third-degree felony assault of a family member. Um, The police report is out there for you to read. We're not going to render judgment or anything, but uh, based on the police report, he's accused of choking and impeding the airflow of a female resident in his home during an early morning altercation. He has been uh, suspended indefinitely without pay pending the investigation. Coach Rodney Terry uh, is stepping in and stepped in already to coach uh, the Longhorns in their first game post this event. Now, we're not, Kyle and I are not lawyers. We're not here to talk um, about what can and should happen, but there's no easy way to say this is a really terrible situation to be in for tech. Texas and a really terrible situation for everybody involved. And really, I just hope everybody gets the help that they need to, to get um, this thing sorted. Yeah, there's there's no real punchline here. There's nothing, you know, there's no silver lining. There's there's nothing good. It's an incredibly terrible story. It had a pit in my stomach. You know, I think at 630, it hit the hit the uh, group texts and, and started to leak into the internet and um, just had a pit in my stomach all day. It's just such a terrible awful thing to to hear the news right and to have multiple people share it hey did you see this oh my gosh what's this and it just kind of kept coming up and more news kept coming out and i couldn't really shut my phone and completely be offline it just kept being in the back of my mind all morning and it's just you know it's just never okay it's not good it's absolutely horrendous and and um you know this is a uh, a podcast that has put our flag in the ground that we in no way in any 
whatever color the, the person wears on their polo, whatever affiliation they have, can we in any way justify um, these types of actions? So again, we'll, we'll let the, the legal process play out and presumably um, whatever subsequent actions play out from the university, there's still much more to come. Um, but it would be disingenuous if we didn't open our University of Texas sports podcast this week uh, about the top sports story, um, unfortunate as it may be. Again, I don't think Gerald or I have an interest in editorializing um, other than to say interpersonal violence and, and domestic violence is never something to be taken lightly. It's never something that's okay or excusable or justifiable. Um, whatever underlying causes, issues, you know, get it treated, work on it, but there's just never any excuse and it's not okay and it's it's awful and it's bad and it always will be. If it's your team or if it's our team or if it's someone else's team, it's just bad. That's the answer. I will say I was somewhat pleased. Of course, there was there was the the, the absolute pond scum of, of social media who was making jokes at Texas expense and some tech fans, you know, doing what you would expect them to. But there was actually a, a, a tremendous amount of tech fans who I was surprised to see step up and tell those people to shut up um, and just kind of say, there's nothing funny about this. This isn't good. No one's rooting for that. Um and yeah, we'll, we'll talk about the, the the actual game now. And and I think a lot of people across the country, um, especially across the state of Texas, I saw tech accounts, A and M accounts, um, cheering on a gutsy Texas performance because what a draining and deflating day from six a.m. until you know seven p.m. Twelve hours later, thirteen hours later, when you have to play a basketball game. Um, but Texas did. Um, Texas had to play a tough one, and and you know you can see between the scores of their two games this week, something happened. Yeah, so about 12 hours after uh, this news started to hit the internet, uh, Texas took the court against uh, Rice, and um, you could tell that they probably weren't all there based on it. They were coming off an 88-43 to blowout win of Arkansas Pine Bluff. 52 points in the paint, 24 points off turnovers, absolute shellacking of an outmatched Arkansas Pine Bluff team. Um, Texas came out under Rodney Terry and had to gut out an 87 to 81 win. And, and as we as we talk about the basketball program, we have to separate our feelings about what's going on with the coach and whatever we have to separate whatever's going on from the coach from the conversation about the the young men on the court because um, the the players they they are fighting, they battled, they came out, they did what they needed to do, um, struggled early. You could tell that they were uh, having, I don't want to say having trouble focusing, but it was clearly off. Uh, 9 of 24 in the first quarter, and Rice did what they needed to do and, and took a four-point lead into halftime. Yeah, this, again, yeah, it, it, shots weren't always falling. Rice was, you know, the defensive intensity, especially in the first half, just wasn't where it usually is. Rice was getting super high efficiency, easy looks. It just, you know, felt like the players were, were going through the motions a little bit, admittedly. Um, Texas shot nine or 24 in, in the first quarter, you know, didn't play the type of defense they're known for. It, really rice, you know, was in the driver's seat for the majority of this game. Um, and that's not something you would expect. I think the line was over 20 points on this game. Um, so, you know, again, in normal circumstances, though, it's a, it's a good rice team. I think they have six wins. They're well coached. Um, have a couple players that, that made some plays. Uh, I, I think you still would have expect expected Texas, who's you know only lost as a is a uh, neutral site ranked overtime loss, right, and, and has dominated most other teams this year uh, to to handle this. And so, like I said, the the first 
half kind of uh, woes. And then second half, you saw a little bit of life and uh, they were able to ultimately grind it out. And I think in overtime, they finally, it snapped a little bit for them. They looked like, oh yeah, we're the better team. Like, let's just go beat these guys, right? Like uh, we can get into the stats and everything, but I watched the, you know, the video they released on social media after the game, coaching Rodney Terry, again, not in an easy position, addressing the team. And it looks like it's going to be a serious talk. And then just immediately you see uh, Timmy Allen standing behind him with the water ready to douse him. And you just saw the whole team come around him. And it was kind of a great reminder that um, the team is still family, right? Like they, they still have common goals. And every season, no matter what crazy stuff happens, you're going to have just off nights where you don't have the energy and it, it doesn't go the way that you're used to it going. Um, not always this exact scenario, but nonetheless, they, they rallied through, fought through. You saw the team mentality you saw how much it means to them like their season isn't over no matter what happens off the court they still have goals that they want to play for and so you know gritty kind of gutsy win um i'm glad they fought i'm glad they came together and, and again to to come the way it did in, in overtime and have them kind of come together and gel a little bit it's it's a little bit reassuring you said it really well that like at some point I think something clicked and it was overtime, right? Where, you know, Sir Jabari Rice came in, he was scoreless in the first half, scored four in, in uh, the second half and then scored seven of 15 for Texas and went on basically like a six Oh run of his own uh, to really put the game out of reach. And so like for me, or as we think about it, um, Texas was able to push through adversity. Texas was able to move beyond it and seeing Rodney Terry and what he, you know, the, the excitement and the enthusiasm after the game. Um, if Texas does indeed need to move on to a new coach, I think Rodney Terry is probably mm. one of the first interviews they have. Um, but like Marcus Carr did what Marcus Carr yeah. did. It was winning time and Marcus Carr, uh, 28 points hit four of Texas's five, three pointers of the game. Actually had a really good three point performance, four of seven. Um, Dylan Disu, weirdly enough, was the only other player to hit a three pointer in that. Um, but again, this was a, a Texas team that in the worst of situations, there, there are very few situations that are worse than this. I can think of Texas winning in overtime. Um, the night we found out, Andrew Jones had been diagnosed with cancer like they're like that is about these are this is about as worse as it gets and and um seeing these guys pull together and gut it out and um you know win a game that uh in all intensive like if at the end of the year they had lost this game or we're looking back at that rice game was a weird loss like we'd look back at it and then we'd have to oh that was that day right so like in, in where there's all the excuses for them to have lost this game they pulled together they locked arms um they got done and, and um i think they showed themselves something that even in the worst of situations they can they can gut something out and win a game that they need to yeah and and you know you, you mentioned Jabari Rice doing it in overtime. I mean, Marcus Carr had the other eight points in overtime, right? Those two guys scored all 15. Um, so Carr, great in this one. You know, those are two guys who have been around a lot of college basketball. That was the talk in the season. Seniors, super seniors. They've, they've you know, they've played a lot of basketball, regular season, postseason, whatever. Um, winning time, they showed up. Another player who I think may not jump out on the stat sheet, and especially because he came off a game where he was 3-3 three three, from deep, 5-5 five five total the game before, and Brock Cunningham showed a little offensive flourish. He did the dirty stuff in this game that you expect, six points, uh, only took one three, but missed that one as everyone else, as Gerald said on the team, did. But 10 rebounds, played some defense, poked some balls away, was kind of the glue guy like they talk about, was the hustle, was the energy, and again, was the guy in the huddles amping the team up was the guy in the locker room after the game who after the coach gave a speech everyone looked at Brock and Brock gave a speech right he has a role on this team that I think is really um 
special teams have that guy, right? The, the, the player who kind of sits between coach and, uh, and, and players. And so with a coaching situation like going, that what's going on, it's almost invaluable to have a guy like Brock Cunningham. So we'll be watching closely just kind of how he uh, – how when he's on the court, when he's off the court, when they're in huddles, when they're, you know, what we can see how much Brock uh, is able to help and, and influence and, and, and push the team forward there. But, uh, but yeah, all in all, applause to the whole team. Like Gerald said, this could have been one that very easily just went the other way and, and eh, you could chalk it up. But uh, good for them for, for fighting through it and, and still getting the win, right? At the end of the day, when all these things are said and done, it's wins and losses. Exactly. It's wins and losses. And again, this is, I, I think, and, and maybe I'm making a mountain out of molehill hill here, but like, I think when, when March comes around and Texas is probably a tournament team, you know, they can point to this game and be like, hey, we are, we spent, we had a day from hell and we were still able to get out a win. So what's this? Oh, it's just a small depth. Like, that's just where my head goes. But for, for Texas, next up, as they deal with all the uncertainty, um, they're heading to Dallas to take on Stanford as the Pac 12, um, Decides to go on a road show, I guess, trying to show some stuff off as they um, negotiate their their rights deals for all of their football and basketball and all that coming up. But uh, Texas will take on Stanford on Sunday in Dallas. So it had been a long time since the third leg of the tripod had been with us on the show, and so we, we had to we had to hit him up uh, with National Signing Day a week away. Man, the myth, the legend himself, Mike Roach, in the new office with Santa Claus behind him is joining us to talk some recruiting. Mike, how you doing? You want to hear a fun story? This is my grandpa was like my best friend. He passed away when I was 15, but I got, he was a fisherman and I got him the Santa Claus at a school book fair one year. And you can't tell, but it says like gone fishing on his, on his little thing. I love it. And he, he used to have, oh, here it is. It's his little fishing pole in his hand uh, right there. (laughs) Wait, right there. So uh, I keep it. Uh, it's it's like the one thing my wife does not like kitschy Christmas decorations, but she understands. Obviously, this means a lot to me. So it comes out uh, every year at Christmas. As it should. I love I love that, man. That's uh, I, I'm in the same boat where we, we aren't in especially decorated house uh, for, for any really seasonal holiday. But if there's if there's sentimental things like I have similarly a grandmother who's given me some pretty like very kitschy, very awful things that in any other circumstance would not find their way through through the wife's impeccable uh, sense and taste. But it's like, you know what? Love trumps all, man. A little bit little bit of sentimentality. This is a podcast of, of two absolute sob stories. So you're, 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 you're pitching to Gerald and I's uh, right, right to the sweet spot. Yeah, that one gets through the firewall of my wife's uh, <laughs> defenses, which are pretty strong when it comes to what can be put in her house for Christmas. So Fair enough. It's your office, Mike. You get to put what you want in there. And I think that's that's exactly. True. exactly. True. It's mainly a shine to my grandfather. Now that I'm thinking about it, like I've got his badge from the Dallas Police Department over here. Um, I've got a picture of him drinking out of a keg when he was like 19. <laughs> um, up above me. So uh, yeah, that's cool. It's kind of still coming together. We I haven't quite figured out like I definitely want to get some stuff for it. I want to have a cool setup behind me, but like have it 
figured out. I used to have a copy of my book, The Road to Texas, mm. uh, Incredible Twists and Improbable Turns Along the Longhorn Recruiting Trail. Uh, it'd be a great Christmas gift for anybody who's uh, considering it. Beautiful. Uh, find it on Amazon, Goodreads, anything like that. It used to sit up here behind me, but um, like literally my mom was like, hey, your your uncle wants a copy of your book. And the only one I had was the one sitting behind <laughs> me. So I just grabbed it off of there. So I've got to get more to put one up as a presentation. You didn't hit her with the sales pitch. You just did mom. You can get one for Christmas. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, I know. No, uh, no, they, uh, they got I got, I told the family, you get a couple free if you want to, but be choosy. I'm not giving them out to second cousins and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> I've had to see them at least two family holidays in the last five. Yeah. Years. Or I have to really just like, you. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So as much as we love talking interior decorating with Mike, that's not necessarily uh, what we're here for. That's our other podcast. Sorry, boys. <laughs> Sorry, boys. No, it's good. This, this is why we have you on, because we just go where, where the road leads us. But we're, we're talking recruiting. National Signing Day, as you're listening to this on Wednesday, is a week away. The early signing period will start. Texas, um, not necessarily doing a ton of hunting, but the big game is still uh, on the menu. Texas bringing in a bunch of recruits over the weekend as well for a big official visit uh the biggest of which everybody knows him the anthony hill the uh, five-star linebacker from uh the dallas area formerly committed to texas a&m in a head-to-head race with the longhorns mike you have been pretty standard if you're a, if you're a 247 subscriber if you're not why aren't you but uh mike has been pretty pretty stalwart i guess we'll say in, in texas um being cautiously optimistic man um how big is it if texas can get him on campus this weekend i think it's huge i think it's a big indicator for them um you know i think that i think it's texas and texas a&m going into the final week and my read right now and i'm kind of nervous to have this read because i'm looking it's like anytime I feel this confident about something, I'm just looking above me, waiting for the anvil to drop out of the sky <laughs> on my head. Um, like I think it's Texas by a lot right now. I, I really do. I mean, I think AM's made a pushback. They've gone in on some in-home visits, but um I think once he decommitted, he, he kind of made his mind up. Now, fast forward next week, something different happens, and this is getting played back, and I'm getting dragged across the internet. That's you know, the game is the game, but um I think. Based on everything I've heard, and it's tough right now because Hill's kind of he's his camps really circled up tight. They're not letting a lot of information out. Um, I finally got in touch with Anthony today, just to get the details, time, who I needed to talk to about his announcement. Um, and so, I've mainly been relying on source material, and it's basically, you know, everything we hear is very positive for Texas. So if they can get him on campus this weekend, as they're expecting to do. Um, I think it will be a, a great step in the right direction for them. I think that Thursday night, tomorrow night, uh, is the in-home visit, uh, and that's when Sark's going in, um, and, and Sark's going in to close. I mean, that's that's the purpose of him going in. I think back to last year, um, I remember when Kelvin Banks decommitted, and he's like, I'm going to go to February, and I was talking to a source of Texas, and I said, well, is Sark going to wait until January to go in he's like now we're going in this week we're gonna close this deal down and nice. he did and he did so uh you know I, I i think that's the move here and, and we'll see kind of how it goes on thursday i like that and just i mean if you're listening to this podcast if you're listening to mike roach on this podcast you know probably everything there is to know about how good of a high school linebacker anthill is but in case we have some new listeners who, who you know mainly focus the team when they get on the 40 can you just give us a little bit of perspective because i mean he's he's legitimately seems to me like a day one guy who's ready to hit the hit the 40 and, and go but i mean uh, 
he he is as good a Texas linebacker recruit as we've had in at least a couple years, in my opinion. Is is that about where you're at? He's as important, I think, of a defensive recruit, certainly as Sark signed in his two years here. Mm-hmm. I would argue if Texas gets him, he's the most – probably the uh, – I'm trying to think because I might just miss somebody off the top of my head. But I would call him probably the best defensive recruit they've signed in the last five, six years. Wow. Um, I would put him over Malik Jefferson, even as from, from a high school perspective, but I really mm-hmm. liked Malik in high school. I thought yeah. his ranking was justified where it was without the hindsight of, you know, now understanding that he went a little, you know, he dropped a little bit from where we saw him. But um, I think that Anthony Hill, and I remember like when he kind of popped up because we've, we've of course got contacts at Ryan. I'm, I live now in Denton County. So I'm very close to, to Ryan high school. And, uh, they're always telling us about the next guys, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, we were covering Jatavian Sanders and Billy Bowman and Drew Sanders, and they were like, we got these guys, Austin Jordan and Anthony Hill, you're going to have to meet. You know, they're always, they can't wait to tell us about the next guys. And I remember seeing Anthony, and I was dumb. I was like, he's too big already. Like, he's not going to stick at linebacker. He's going to have to play defensive end. Because he was like this big, 6'2", 215 or whatever, as a freshman. And wow. I was like, yeah, he's just going to outgrow that. Um and all he did was kind of prove me wrong. Like he's been the best high school football player, I think pound for pound in the state of Texas for certainly the last two years. And I can make an argument the last three years, like we would watch him on the field. I remember on that Jatavian Sanders, Ryan team, you would watch all those guys and you're like, yeah, Jatavian's awesome. And Billy Bowman's electric. And, but that kid that plays middle linebacker is the best player on the field, like very easily. And just from a football player perspective, may, you know, not talking prospects, not talking uh, ceiling or any of that. But see, all that's great too. And I think a lot of it is because he's such a good athlete. He is a he runs on their state uh, qualifying four by one team at his size, which Love is, terif- is terrifying. Um, he's like the most competitive kid I know, but like in a very charming way, like he's not, he is a sweet, sweetheart of a kid. Like just one of the best to talk to, like loves to have fun. He's one of those kids. that's a five-star, but doesn't know it. Um, for instance, like, so he's played seven on seven every year of his high school career on the select scene. And I kept being like, Anthony, like, why are you doing this? You don't have to do this. You're a five-star. You're going to get everything you want. And he's like, I know, but it's fun, right? It's fun to come out here and compete. And I think I'm getting better at like coverage. And he was brutal in seven on seven when he first started, like brutal. Like you could line up a, a little slot up the middle and they, he couldn't cover him. And he just kept getting better every time I saw him. And I was like, he's polishing his, his skill out here and learning to cover elite speed guys that you see in the sport. So like last, last spring at a tournament, I told him I was really proud of him because he had just come so far in seven on seven. He was like, yeah, it's great. But like, it's just fun, man. I just like coming out here and running (laughs) around with the boys, you know, and and having some fun. And he took my camera and was like, Hey, can I go take some pictures? And I was like, sure. And he had so much fun, like just running around the tournament after his team was eliminated and like taking pictures of guys. Like he's just, uh, he's one of a kind. So to answer your original question, um, because uh, we've received directives from our bosses that the best thing to do when you're on these, and somebody asks you a question is answer the question first and then elaborate. Since I didn't do that. Uh, yeah, I believe he can play very early. I believe that he would be in the mix, depending on what happens with the current roster. Does Jalen Ford come back? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, things like that. 
I, I think he's in the mix regardless. Uh, even if he's not a day one starter, he is a getting very heavy playing time from from week one. I, I think he's I think he's as good of a linebacker as I've seen come out of the state in in a decade. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, they said they said the color's great, but like, just answer the question first. Like, if I would have <laughs> just said, if I'd have reversed all of that that I just did and said, yes, I believe he could play right away, and then told all those stories, mm. it would have been I would have checked the boxes they wanted me to. But you're you're like the ant hill of of podcast guests because even though you are one of the greats in the past decade, you're still out here polishing your game a little bit, just having fun with the boys. You know, I I, I see some parallels here. That's true. I do like to you know throw some back, talk a little ball with the boys. I I saw. <laughs> Uh, I don't want to, this is a little PG 13, maybe even almost a little rated R, but I saw a tweet on, on Twitter right before I got on here. And it was a girl that said, what's your favorite position? And the quote tweet was cornerback. And I was like, that's, <laughs> that's me and the boys. Like <laughs> just <laughs> the ball's life. We're goofing. You know? I love it. I love five, it. <laughs> five technique. Let's do this. So flip it to the offensive side of the ball. Um, it was a, it was a kind of a, a squeaky bum weekend for, for Texas. A couple of uh, players made some visits to, to university of Houston, Ryan Niblett being one of them. Um, you know, it, it, Texas maybe has stemmed the tide a little bit. Um, re- receiver has been an interesting uh recruiting cycle for Texas, especially given that they have the number one quarterback in the country in this group. So Niblet seems like he's still in the boat. Texas looking to add another one. Like what's the, what's the landscape? What's Brendan Marion going to, going to do in it? And does that impact what they do in the portal? Yeah, I think it does. Um, I think it, it absolutely impacts. And I think basically everything they do between now and, and signing day impacts what they do in the portal. That's why they haven't been super active. Now I did, break the news uh yesterday as uh, as uh i guess as you're listening to this since we're recording it on tuesday uh that gavin holmes the transfer corner from wake forest will be making an official visit uh this weekend as well so they've been a little bit active but i think a lot of it is let's take a look at what is there and what is needed like what do we get and i think that the staff really still falls back on recruiting being the base that they want to build the roster by an example Last year, they had two or three portal offensive linemen lined up, ready to visit, and were probably going to commit. Pretty good players, too. And then they were like, wait a minute, we're going to get Kelvin Banks and NATO and uh, Cam Williams. And well, why don't we just get those guys then? And they basically kind of blew off the portal guys because they understood that they were going to get a lot more value out of getting these guys in, developing them. And obviously, Kyle Flood not afraid to play those guys early. Um, so I think it, it's a lot like that. I think that's kind of where linebacker is this year. They could take a portal guy or two. It probably wouldn't hurt them to. But with their thinking, well, we might get Anthony Hill to go along with Darren Gillette and Samaji Burrell and the only foul. Why would we do that? Why are we going to risk developing our kids? It's the model of, um, you know, recruiting mirroring the draft while the portal mirrors free agency and we're, and you want to build your team uh, through the draft, drafting and developing your own prospects. So um, I do think it's going to go back around as, as it pertains to receiver, you know, the, uh, the niblet thing kind of came out of nowhere. I remember uh, like we had heard Dylan Spencer was making the visit. I think it was set like late Saturday night. Somebody was like, Hey, niblet's there too. And I was like, Oh no, <laughs> like, what are we, what's going on here? Um, and started checking around, and I sent like a I sent a text to a source near him, like at, at his school uh, that night at like two in the morning, 
and just thinking like he'll get this in the morning and, and respond to me and like he just immediately responded back was like yeah i think he might flip and uh i was like oh by the way man i didn't didn't mean to uh like for you to read this now i was hoping you'd just see it in the morning and text me back and he was like no nah, it's cool i was up so um uh so yeah there were it, it seemed like it was going that way there's a lot of concern both on the texas side as well um i think what happened was they were able to get in touch with his family and kind of say hey let's sit down and talk like what are the concerns you have what what's causing this and i, I think the root cause was really houston had gotten kind of in his head about how he wouldn't be able to get much playing time at texas with all the guys mm-hmm. they've got and that, uh, you know, if you look at the offense, they don't spread the ball around a ton and all those sorts of things. And so, uh, you know, Brennan Mary and Brandon Harris, they were both able to play a big role in kind of reeling it back in. And I think from everybody I've talked to, they put it to bed. I think everything's uh, good on that front. As far as what's left, uh, it's DeAndre Moore Jr. and Jacoby Lane, two West Coast prospects. People are going to get mad because I called an Arizona kid a West Coast prospect. <laughs> Look, if you're in the Pacific time zone, well, I guess, I don't know. I don't ever know what time zone Arizona is in because I don't think they observe the <laughs> – the, yeah. If Okay, so right now they're in the Pacific time zone. I'm calling you a West Coast recruit. Um, the, Jacoby Lane from Mesa, Arizona is a big body they've been looking for. Uh, really fun kid to watch. Uh, committed to USC. Texas has been swinging. I think Texas has been chipping away. He's playing it really coy. We'll see. I think that there could be some interesting developments with him in the next week uh, is all I'll say. DeAndre Moore is a kid that I've known for a long time because like Texas kind of recruited him under Herman. Um, And I I go out to Las Vegas every year for a seven on seven tournament. And he used to play in Las Vegas. So I met him at like a workout at his school and we've just kept in touch ever since. Um, he's a really interesting kid. Like he's super into anime, uh, which I don't get. <laughs> I don't get at all because that's not me. But uh, like he, I was talking to him, like, "What do you want to do in school?" He's like, "I want to be an anime director." And I was like, "What is that?" Wow. Even mean? Like I don't. I don't know how. That, like, do you have to know how to draw it, or are you just putting the story? I don't. I don't know. So um, he's super into that. Yeah, the yeah. RTF program. And that's what he's looking for. Um, and so a uh, really dynamic kid downfield, uh, very explosive. Uh, I think that it's Texas and Georgia, despite the fact he's committed to Louisville. I don't think he signs with Louisville. Um, I've said that so many times that he's like probably 100% just going to sign with Louisville and not be played, <laughs> played back as well. If you guys can't tell by now, but we get to this point in the cycle, I'm just wary of everything I say being cold takes exposed. Um, <laughs> but yeah, super explosive. And just a really fun kid. I think Texas, there's a ton of confidence out there. Now, I don't, like when I talk to people, I don't understand where the confidence comes from because Georgia's involved. And I think mm-hmm. Georgia can always, you know, Georgia's Georgia. And that's a tough, tough push to make. But there is a lot of confidence right now that DeAndre Moore ends up at Texas. So I think um, if you had to ask me, I, I'd probably handicap more most likely to landing there and a decent shot with getting Jacoby Lane to flip from USC to Texas. Very cool. Like, like to hear that for the, the pass catchers, obviously with, with Arch coming in with the quarterbacks we have on, uh, you know, two pass catchers at tight end in this class already. And then cook uh, niblet. Glad to hear that's stemmed a little bit. And then, you know, we, we, we've heard a little bit of the talk of whether, you know, Trey Weisner is going to be a guy who gets on the field, probably catching some passes, probably doing some different things. So, you know, it, it is shaping up, but I like to hear there's a little bit, um, 
a little bit in the chamber, right? A little bit left there that we, that we can still bring in uh, because it has been an interesting wide receiver class this year, it feels like. Um, now, a, a, a name that, like, I think Gerald and I are just sent, sentimentally curious, just kind of want to see how it look and, and inter- interested in your perspective. A guy who uh, is very familiar with passing the ball at Texas, G.J. Kinney, made his way um, down to San Marcos, right down the road from us. My brother played football at Texas State, so and, and I knew you know some of those coaches from from that time. Uh, Travis Bush from that staff originally just got named the UTRGV coach. Um, Jason Washington, Nivar, Herman, a lot of guys who were at Texas came from from that group. So you know, not saying it's like an incubator for for UT, but it, it's right down the road. So there's some you know it's always interesting and and. Spav had an interesting strategy, but you've seen the homegrown kind of recruit Central Texas. Gerald and I are both Centex kids. Recruit Central Texas um, for UTSA, and they've turned it into a really winnable business model. I mean, do, do you have any thoughts? I mean, can, do you think Texas State can replicate that? Do you think Kenny can come in and, and try to just scoop up some three-star Centex kids, scoop up some guys who maybe aren't getting the looks at, you know, the, the, the slightly smaller uh, schools besides the big three or four kind of in, in, in you know, Central Texas, Austin powerhouses, of course, uh, notwithstanding. Um, is, is that, I mean, do, do you have any insight into that? Okay, so first off, I guess I should say for disclosure's sake, I hate, I usually hate naming like which college coaches I know know well because obviously sources get back but like sure. I don't know in this case I yeah GJ and I are very friendly with one another we we talk often um I helped him a lot when he was you know with kids when he was in Hawaii and at Central Florida and it's just you know that's why you start making relationships with young assistants because they're bound to go somewhere and I think we we tried to show them a lot of love when he was at Incarnate Word um because I thought he was doing a really good job there and I think yeah. that was that was appreciated. So um, I, I have a biased view of him. I think he was a really good hire uh, for them, but that's because he's my friend. And so I was thinking, sure. like, if they hired Gerald, I'd be like, that's an awesome hire for Texas <laughs> State. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, I do think, I, I think he's the guy, like, there is a little bit, I guess if I want to play devil's advocate, if I were a Texas State, like, hardcore guy, right? My thing would be, okay, he's done one year as a head coach in an FCS program that was built by another head coach. Um, has he proved anything? No, not really. But Jeff, Tra- Jeff Trailer was hired by UTSA without any real coordinator experience or any prior head coaching experience at the college level, a lot at the high school level, and I think it was valuable for what it was worth. Same for Joey McGuire. I think this is the way people are going now. I think it is about finding a – I kind of a charismatic uh, figurehead, I, I, not figurehead, but a charismatic like leader, um, a guy that can recruit. And if he's got a bonus, if he's really good calling offense or defense or whatever, that helps. And I don't know if you guys have been keeping up with what UIW has been doing. I sat up here in my office the other night yeah. watching their, their playoff game with Sacramento State where they scored 66 and barely won. That was uh, wild. That was a wild fourth quarter. But they're dialing it up on offense. I mean, mm-hmm. they've got a really good scheme. I think he is he's he's an advanced offensive mind, and that comes from I think pretty early on in the NFL, he kind of figured out I'm not going to be a long-term NFL quarterback. So why don't I start transitioning here? And he got to learn from some great minds in the NFL. He's had been able to learn from some great minds in college, and he's blended it all together to make his offense. So I think he's A going to put together a pretty good staff. 
I think B, like the biggest thing is just recruit the state of Texas. That's all you like. It's wild to me that Texas state is not better than it is. And I know that they they're behind from a facility standpoint and things like that. But when you're talking about kids who are looking for G fives and they're looking, oh, well, I guess I'll go to Tulane or I guess I'll go to UTEP or, or whatever. It's like, man, Texas state should be at the front of that list. And you look at UTSA and what they were able to do in such a short period of time, there's no reason Texas State can't do the same. And so uh, to the decision by Jake Spavadol to just basically say, I'm going to recruit specifically out of the portal was a crazy one to me. Um, it was a gamble. It was a bad gamble. And it paid off like a bad gamble. So um, it cost him his job. And I think it's like I have a lot of thoughts about the G5s in general, like uh, North, for instance, North Texas hired Eric Morris, the former UIW coach who hired, yeah. and I think that's a very good hire. But there were people who were like, "Well, why did we fire Seth Luttrell? Like, why, why should North Texas expect to be any better than eight and four or whatever?" And it's like because they can be, because G fives teams can produce at that level, especially if you're in a place with a talent rich. Uh, pool for you to recruit from and so i think san marcus is a incredibly like attractive place to get kids who maybe don't end up at texas or texas a&m or baylor or tcu and why not there you know and if you've got an offense that's that's creating points and a team that's sending guys to the nfl you can certainly get guys there and so yeah i think um i don't know if that quite answers your question but i do think I, I think that he is the right guy for them. And I think that just, you know, putting that emphasis into recruiting the state is going to be huge for him. I love it. I mean, I, I've been a big proponent of like San Antonio and like the, the I-35 has such a under-recruited potential. Like I'm thinking of um, Mike Adams' kid down at like uh, yeah. New Braunfels. At New right? Braunfels Canyon. Yeah. yeah. Just yeah. Give, give him a shout. Like see, see what's a up. A Travis Bush quarterback, actually. There you, you go. brought up Travis Bush earlier. He played for Bush uh, this year until he got yeah. the job at our – at Rio Grande Valley. Yeah, there are so many of those kids. And it, it's like what drove me crazy with Latrell at North Texas. There were kids didn't, I would argue with you, there's people who will are, what's the most talented area of Texas? Look, the I-20 corridor in Dallas is very talented. Fort Bend County in Houston is extremely talented. I would argue there's no more talented like city, town, or whatever than Denton, Texas. When you consider that Ryan and Guy are, Produce high number yeah. of college prospects every year. They go their state powers every year, and North Texas just wouldn't recruit them. Like they're in your city. Yeah, <laughs> you're not going to get Jatavian Sanders, but you might get Ty Marsh, who was the state champion MVP and is a pretty good DB. And they just wouldn't recruit them. And so, like, um, I, I never understand that point. I think Jeff, when he got UTSA, made a really great. Hey, we're gonna. We're going to do the, the Central Texas and the San Antonio thing. And he does it, but he's also going to dip heavy into East Texas. Oh, yeah. And he's going to recruit Dallas when he needs to. And he can put a couple kids up and say, look, San Antonio, they're from San Antonio. <laughs> but he, he knows that he ain't going to win with just kids from San Antonio either. That's the thing is like, that's what you can do if you're at North Texas. Hey, we got two kids from Denton coming here, but we're also going to go to South Dallas and get a kid or two and, and, and you know, this and that. And I just, for me, I don't get the like the being okay with the mediocrity of like, well, why don't why don't we just be eight and four all the time under under this coach? Why do we got to fire? It's like because we've seen G fives come from nothing to being G five powers. It's like why not North Texas? They're situated perfectly. They've got way more resources than anybody. I remember mm -hmm. talking to 
people at UTSA when they played North Texas and they were like, their roster's way better than ours, way <laughs> better. Like they've recruited at such a higher level. Like they should be winning crazy amounts of games there. Um, I live 20 minutes from the facility. It's a beautiful facility. Like they've got everything to come together. I just don't know why they're, why they're okay with mediocrity. That's the, uh, thanks for coming to my TED talk. I mean, Tulane is playing in the Cotton Bowl this year. Like they're yep. exactly. Yep. It could be Tulane. Yeah. And like Tulane's got, they got their own thing going for them, right? Yeah. They're a really good academic school. They're in New Orleans. But, I mean, come on. North Texas, I, I'm not saying you could be that every year, but you can aspire to be more than what you are currently, which is a team that lost to UNLV this year by, like, 50. And UNLV then fired their coach. So, I mean, come on. It's crazy. Well, well Mike, it it's not a Mike Roach podcast on, on the Longhorn Pod. If we don't talk, I know you're busy. It's It's – you want states this week, but like, is there any is any extraneous things going on other than uh, the road to Texas, which I'm actually planning on reading a big chunk of on my flight tomorrow for work? Uh, what else is going on in in the Mike Roach world that that folks should be uh, aware of? Not a ton. Um, I mean, I'm just just kind of winding it down here, like right, like we get through next week. It's like we'll see. Okay, we'll see who signed. I can kind of breathe a little bit. I'll get like a week or two, and then it'll be Christmas, and then I'll be flying here and there for All Star games, and then kind of into January, and then before I know it, it'll be February, and I'll be signing, and I'll be right back into the throes of another class. But I'm uh, really winding it down. Looking forward to state. Uh, this is usually the point where we just talk about what I'm watching on TV. That's that's right. That's 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 what we're. Gerald was being very polite there. I mean, we know you're busy, but you're streaming something, or maybe holidays coming up. You got something yeah. ready to stream? So we have watched a lot of Christmas movies, um, and like we have a tight rotation every year between me, and my wife, and I. Um, I guess we can we could get into our favorites at this point. Uh, yeah. yeah. We start uh, we start every year with the I don't know that anybody would classify it a Christmas movie, uh, but we I guess it kind of is. We start every year with the movie The Holiday, which is like a romantic comedy with Cameron absolutely Diaz. Absolutely a Christmas movie. It is. It is both Christmas and fantastic. It also brings in Hanukkah, uh, but it is fantastic, is what it is. Yeah, we start every year with that. It's always first out the gates. Uh, we're big Home Alone people. Like I, I mean, as you should be. I watched Home Alone every year when I was a kid. We watch it every year now. And every year when she goes, say goodnight, Kevin, he goes, goodnight, Kevin. I die laughing <laughs> when he, she says, get upstairs. He says, I am upstairs, dummy. Uh, <laughs> you know, it still makes me laugh. So uh, Home Alone for sure. Christmas Vacation for sure. Uh, Four Christmases. I don't know if people love that movie or hate it. I think it's hilarious. Uh, super into that. I hadn't seen it in years. It was, it was on TV and I caught the second two thirds, I guess two thirds of it. Hilarious. It holds up. It's Tim McGraw, you know, sneaky, hilarious in that. Everyone hilarious. It's an incredible one for sure. Um, and then, uh, you know, she likes the really old ones. I don't like, she loves it's a wonderful life mm. and miracle on 34th street and all that stuff. And I'm like, yeah, watch those with my mom or <laughs> with your dad or whatever the case is. Um, so yeah, we do a lot of that. We also have like a thing where we'll go back through like uh, home improvement when it was a show had a lot of really good Christmas episodes that we own like, or we'll go through like uh Hulu or whatever, and find all the Christmas episodes and watch them. It's just, nice. you know, she loves the holidays. It's kind of what we do. Uh, watching a lot of hockey, uh, a lot of hockey. World Juniors is coming soon, which I'm very excited about. Uh, obviously, the World Cup has thrown a wrench into a lot of my plans this year <laughs> because, like, I want to watch as much World Cup as possible. But, like, just can we never do Winter World Cup again, please? Because it's just, it's too busy. 
It's too busy. I don't have time to wake up at 4 a.m. to watch a match. I really want to watch, but like I've got other stuff to do. You know what I mean? Um, There was a day where like so Hudson, who works with me, is super into the U.S. men's national team. I'm very much a fan of the men's national team. He can tell you like all their social security numbers and stuff. Um, There was a day like, oh, it was the first portal day. And like we're sitting here trying to watch the USA Iran game. And like all these Texas kids are going in the portal and we're just kind of like, yeah, you guys write it up. We're, uh, we're in the middle of something. So, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you know, it's, uh, it's, I never want to do that again. Um, recommendations for you guys. Um, so a record, I'd be curious to hear. My brother told me the show, I think it's called Reservation Dogs. Oh yeah. On uh, yeah. Hulu. He told me like, well worth the watch. Is that we we have both I think shouted that out in our in our streaming section at the end of the show. I love reservation dogs. It is okay. It is funny and like heart wrenching in a way that I wasn't anticipating. Um, especially like seeing native representation on screen is also really dope, but like it's funny, unexpectedly funny, and like teenage actors that are actually worth the salt is like Yeah. It's it's surprisingly good, like like funny teen drama. You know, like it's 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 very much set in that age group, but you go back there and you identify way more with this group that is very telling a very specific story than I, I expected to, right? You just find the characters to be fun dudes and or fun kids goofing off and, and hanging out and, and getting into trouble and mischief and mayhem. And it's, it's, uh, it's, but like anything that's got a Gerald and, 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 and Kyle stamp on it, it's going to tug a little at the heartstrings. Okay, so that's in the plans for like probably 2023. That'll be one of the first shows I get to watch. And I've uh, been rewatching The West Wing uh, nice. lately. So Never it's always uh, try to do that yearly, try to do Sopranos yearly. I've started Sopranos up again. Um, I wasn't on here that I once postured that like I would just rewatch Game of Thrones and tell you guys it wasn't that bad at the end. I believe you have, you've, you've had some takes. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I, I'm back to like season six on Game of Thrones, just working kind of slowly through it uh, here and there whenever I'm in the mood. And then um, this is very like hockey guy, Mike, of me. But if you're also also on Hulu, the show Shorzy is hilarious. Um, if you haven't watched that yet, I would definitely recommend it. Not familiar. It's, uh, so if you're like, uh, so you know Letterkenny? Oh, yeah. yeah. So it's a spinoff of Letterkenny. Um, and it's created by the same guy that does Letterkenny. I it, I don't like Letterkenny. Like I've watched it, not a fan. But Shorzy is like the same type of humor, but it's a hundred percent hockey based, mm. and it, it is it's an incredible show. They just did the first season last year. Um, so if you got Hulu, I would say check out Shorzy. I think we're gonna change your name to Hockey Guy Mike, not not Mike Roach, but Hockey <laughs> Guy Mike. <laughs> that's basically it that's basically who i am i love it well mike anybody that's listening to our show obviously follows you but if people want to and they're the, in that small venn diagram man where can they find your work on the internet and also pimp your book again please yeah that'd be the road to texas uh incredible twists and improbable turns along the longhorn recruiting trail uh came out in october you can buy it now it's a great christmas gift for anybody um, and, uh, I think, I think it's an enjoyable read and you can find me on Twitter, Mike Roach, two, four, seven, uh, find me on the horse 24, seven message board. 
uh, where I do most of my good stuff. The thing I like about Mike's book is that you don't have to read it cover to cover. There's just like there's a player I, w- I want to read more about Derek Johnson, or I want to read more about Bijan Robinson's recruit. You can just you can just jump in at any point. It's not like you have to read it. Yeah, it's it's not it's not chronological at all. So um, you you can you can literally it's just a collection of stories. So. Uh, you can really just attack it that way. And as we've as we've noticed, Mike gives the news, right? It's great when you give the news. But what you really come to his podcast, hopefully, and our podcast when he's on it for, is you know sometimes the the ten minutes of answer before he answers the question. That's the good stuff. It's the stories. Mike has got a story for every occasion, and uh, I'm actually looking forward to a little break time from work to read your book, Mike. I haven't started it, but I promise I will. Um, and uh, and so I'm. Hopefully, like many of our listeners, looking forward to that over the holidays. Cool. Looking forward to hearing the feedback on it for sure. Mike, thanks for joining us, by the way. I should probably say that. <laughs> oh, always, man. Always. Anytime with you guys. It's been too long. Seriously, it has. I've been in this house since October. You guys were like, oh, new setup. It's been that long. Ooh. That- that's, that's that's on me. I will take that on myself as as the producer. Yeah. Kyle is innocent. You know, that's the un- thing is, is like you guys are afraid to ask me on. You're like, I'm going to bother Mike. And I've literally told you, like, I'll oh, come on whenever. Like, just, <laughs> just let me know. Now, if you start asking me every week, I'll probably say no. Yeah. But like, like I said, like once a month. Like, yeah, I can definitely do that. Yeah, I, I like a once a month. Get a quick a quick hitter. You know what the people want. Give five minutes of news and 10 minutes of TV and we'll be good. That's <laughs> that's the ratio people are are here for, honestly. Yeah, that works for me. I think I think that's just enough, Mike. You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Appreciate it, Mike. Always a pleasure, buddy. No problem. So now it's a part of the show where we whip around the rest of campus and we down the 40. We'll start with football. Uh, amid reports that, that Bijan and Roshan and DeMarvin Overshone are all opting out of the bowl games, it was award season for the Longhorns, and Bijan Robinson um, was named a Tyler Rose finalist, a Walter Camp finalist, um, a Sporting News Football Writers Association, Walter Camp, uh, an AP All-American on those lists. He also won the Doak Walker Award uh, for his trouble as the best running back in the country, finished ninth, I think, in Heisman voting. Um Narrowly misses out on a player of the year award, which I think is what what it takes at Texas to get your number retired. But um, the legacy of Bijan continues to grow. And I am lucky I got to see him play live on his last game in Burn Orange. It feels really cool. So, um, Kyle, Bijan, like, I, I don't know what else to say about this kid. We said all season, soak it in, enjoy it. It's special, and and these are the times you end up, you know, telling your kids about. So, Gerald, I think it is really special that you got to take your son to the game and see Bijan and all that. That's very cool. Um, I think you know, many people will have stories of kids who were you know ten years old in that game and will be Longhorns in the future and and talk about Bijan and, and maybe younger even can remember him. But uh, as adults, we'll all remember him too. And and the, you know, award season is a fun time to cap off what is, you know, a, a great year and a great career. Um, but not the end, right? We're gonna be watching a lot of Bijan on Sundays and and draft him on our fantasy football teams, probably around too high, but that's okay. Um <laughs> but uh but yeah, I mean just just one of the one of the all time greats, I agree with Gerald. It's it's a little bit sad if the criteria holds him out from being a, a number retired guy because you know you think about the the Doak Walker winners at Texas in that pedigree Ricky did it twice so technically five but four players have won it there's probably 10 who you know were in that conversation truly because um, there's some really good ones who didn't necessarily win it but I mean when you, you put yourself in the uh, company of and and 
you know, Earl Campbell has the Tyler Rose Award named after him, but, you know, the Tyler Rose, Earl Campbell, and Ricky Williams, and Cedric Benson, um, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty special, pretty sweet um, that that Bijan has has really cemented himself, you know, in that Rushmore of of legendary running backs from the University of Texas. A well deserved Oak Walker. No offense to, and I thought a very classy acceptance from Bijan when he he you know really said like I like their game a lot. I like what Blake Quorum does and what Chase has done. Like he you know just that's who Bijan is, right? He took his moment and his award acceptance to first you know praise those guys before and then praise his coach. Like that's just who he is again. Watching him on the field is special. Watching him as a human seems to be uh, every bit as special, right? Just seems like he's got his head perfectly on those shoulders correctly um, in the best possible way. So, again, good for him and for all who, who had a hand in, in raising him into, into the man he is and will become. But, uh, yeah, a cap to a, a great career, and um, it was fun. I watched that, that Doak Walker ceremony, and it's fun. It's fun to watch end-of-year giant big award shows and have texas be a part of it and have texas win you know like this is we've had some guys get drafted we've had some awards some all americans that sort of thing but uh in the off on the offensive side of the ball it's been a while right it's probably goes back to Dante foreman um so you know uh, it's nice thanks Bijan. we appreciate it buddy uh we appreciate you and again it seems like he's probably not going to play in the bowl game but he has well earned uh his game off so texas uh, has been relatively chill quiet in the transfer portal as it stands right now they probably have some needs they're going to fill uh, obviously we just talked to mike about that but they happen to pick up i think in kyle in, in true form of our podcast the most important portal pickup <laughs> that they'll have all offseason graduate transfer punter ryan Sandborn commits to Texas today after Isaac Pearson. Not, I mean, not surprisingly, but surprisingly, we were big fans of his. Uh, entered the transfer portal last week. Texas had a need at punter. Sandborn comes in and immediately fills that need. But there's more. Texas also picked up a preferred walk-on uh, commitment from Hillcrest High School kicker slash punter Reed Malfers, who not only hit a 57 yarder this year, but is six foot, six inches tall, massive man, massive leg, Texas bringing in the specialists. Yeah. I mean, as we have, have long said on this podcast this is your favorite punter's favorite podcast. So, um, Ryan Reed, um, Reed Ryan, I guess in that order, if we want to keep it, uh, state of Texas, uh, relevant, um, hit us up, come on the podcast. Um, this is, this is your safe space. Uh, Love giant punters, kickers, whatever. I think intimidation on special teams. I ascribe to the little giant school of thought. You know, it's uh, it's it's it helps every little bit of intimidation. So um, great to have giant humans uh, playing all over the the field. Great to have a guy who's done it. Um, you know, pretty consistently for four years, um, and then also probably will go from Stanford to UT and just get more great degrees. So, so good on you there, uh, <laughs> Mr. Stanford. Um, but yeah, I mean, I love to see it. Uh, we know that special teams is something that this staff takes very, very seriously. Um, we know that. Um, I guess we'll, we'll drop it in here because Texas had not one, not two, but three. Three finalists for the National Special Teams Player of the Year Award, which is pretty, like, phenomenal um just wanted to give them a little bit of shine uh because you know we don't talk about those awards and they were actually uh two weeks ago but we missed them on last week's show um but i'm given i'm given the uh, the shine here uh, of course keelan robinson a guy who who you know 
just so fast and almost block like 12 punts um, and whatever penalties may or may not have happened, but uh, blocked one officially scoop and scored another had four solo special teams tackles um, was one of the uh, finalists there. Maurice Blackwell was one of the finalists played 179 snaps uh, said four unit special teams uh, starter four solo tackles blocked a punt. Um, and then uh, Keaton Crawford played on every special teams also started defense uh, four solo tackles on special teams blocked a field goal. Um, obviously a lot of gang tackles, individual tackles stand out a little bit more, but all those guys probably had another dozen uh, that they were in on. So just really, really awesome. You know, Texas had three of those. I, as I was scrolling through the finals, I don't think any other school had two um, from what I saw. So Texas having three is pretty cool and speaks definitely to um the impetus there, the, I guess the priority that that uh, this staff, Jeff Banks, the special uh, the uh, special assistants, um, and even all the way up to Sark to the head coach puts on special teams. So welcome to the 40 acres to both of these special teams. Players, you're joining. Run Jeff Banks his money. Speaking of a, another team, another coach that needs you to run him his money, J- Jared Elliott. Volleyball, number one seed in the tournament, advances to the final four. Probably can't call it that, but whatever. For the 14th <laughs> time, the 10th in the last 15 years. They got it started in the round of 16 with a 3-1 win over number 16 Marquette. And then after sweating it out in the first couple and even in the fourth set, uh, managed to knock off number 10 Ohio State in the round of a Logan Eggleston with 20 kills, two aces, three blocks led the way for the horns. Yeah. And, and it was, you know, it was the people you expected in this one. Uh, Madison Skinner, 13 kills as well. Asia O'Neill, seven kills, eight blocks in the middle was stout. This was, um, and that's in the Ohio state game. I should say this was, uh, a real test for them, honestly. And I, and I think Ohio state was the big tens best chance to make this final four. It is the first time. Oh man. I, I, I don't have that stat in front of me, but it has been, I think at least 15 years since a big 10 team was not in the final four of the volleyball championship. So it's a big deal that, that Texas held them out. I think Ohio state fans felt surprisingly confident, apparently on social media, uh, that they, they were going to knock Texas off, which is weird. Um, and they, you know, had lost in the beginning, but they had made pretty big leaps over the year. And so Texas getting over that hurdle, I think was a, was a, was a really good one and, and it, it tested them and it's not, nothing is easy from here on out. Um, but you know, when you think of a tricky opponent and an elite eight, that Ohio state team probably uh, would, would be what you think of. So again, nothing easy, still have to just, you have to leave Gregory now, which, you know, the, the home court advantage is real there. Uh, another sellout, great atmosphere, all the players, all the coaches, you know, really took a moment to praise the fans. So good on you. If you were out there uh, or, or, you know, even if you weren't just watching on TV, just good on you to the fans. Um, but now they have to, to go and, and do it in a neutral site and uh, take on, you know, some, you made it this far, good teams are left. Uh, so we'll, we'll see, but we're all waiting with bated breath because Elliot choked up when he was talking about this team. It's special, he said, and you, you want them to get this this national title. It's Logan Eggleston, a special player's senior year, last hurrah, you know, and, and Elliot's just, you could tell the way he talks about it. This is one of those teams that when you are done with your coaching career, you remember specific teams and the players and personalities and how they come together and all the stuff they went through with COVID and the Black Lives Matter movement that the players were a huge part of. This team has been through a lot. And it, you could see when Elliot literally talked about 
getting choked up and crying in his car because even if they won or lost, they weren't going to play in Gregory again. Some of these players were done. So um, it's a special team. Absolutely. It, feel, it, feel, it would feel poetic for one of the greatest of all time uh, in Texas, Logan Eggleston, to get it uh, in the 10-year anniversary of Texas winning its last national championship. They're heading to Omaha. The Final Four is set. Texas will take on uh, San Diego, who's number three, who actually knocked off regional host in the number one seed, Stanford, in five sets. So Texas wins are going to take on the winner of uh, Pitt and Louisville. Pitt coming off a win over defending champion Wisconsin. And Louisville was the other regional host. So um, a kind of murderer's row in, in the final in the final four uh, for Texas. Women's basketball back on the court. Knocked off Alabama State doing what you should do to Alabama State. 107 to 54. Texas finished the, third quor- uh, the first quarter leading by 21. They held that lead through halftime. And then by the end of the third quarter, they expanded that lead to 34 points and cruised on to victory yeah they, i mean this is this is comfortable they they were clearly the better team they need some of these right the confidence boosters they've had a, a tough season and in it um it continued to be tough with Aaliyah moore who one of the best players obviously on the team one of the best players in the country preseason uh, all american teams all big 12 team it was uh she went out with an injury wasn't sure exactly how long it would be it was announced today uh, we're recording this on Tuesday. It was announced today that um, she is done for the year. Um, the no silver lining. That's tough. I mean, it, it's a tough blow. Texas has, uh, you know, a, a an all conference team on their on their injury table with knee injuries. Unfortunately, with some great uh, players who you know next year they're they're looking strong already just with getting those players back. But the one kind of thing to to give a little bit of hope is Deanna Gaston has really stepped up. Her 20.16 rebounds in this one uh, earned her the Big 12 Player of the Week, but she's actually hit double digits in each of her last three. Um, so, you know, there's going to be a tremendous burden on her to step up and, and fill uh, those shoes from Aaliyah Moore. You're going to see, you know, uh, Amina Muhammad um, continue to do it. Uh, you saw Khadija Faye in this one, 19-9, and nine, which is awesome. Um, you know, they, they have some other bigs uh, on, on this roster. It's just, it's hard to fill the offensive uh, void that, that Aaliyah Moore, one of the best posts offensively in the country, uh, who could score almost, it seems like, when she wants to. It's hard to, uh, to replace that. Um, but, you know, we wish her a speedy recovery, come back stronger, um, cheer this team on, you know, from the sidelines. Goals are still on the table for this year, uh, but definitely for next year because this team is pretty young and they, they will bring uh, a lot of the core back. So Texas, it's going to be tougher uh, with more sideline, but but they are trending in the right direction. After starting the season, one and three, Texas has won for the last five to get above 500. Next up for Texas is Jackson State before heading to Dallas to take on USC in that same Pac-12 coast-to-coast challenge. All right, Gerald. Let's uh, let's get to our, our 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 closing segments here. Doing one show a week, we'll we'll hammer out uh, all three of our our closing segments. Start with burnt orange lenses. Take a look through the world uh, through some burnt orange lenses. The sports is winding down. Not not as much to cover in this section. There are some some Longhorns in the NFL uh, going actively. Week fourteen, I believe. Gerald, who's your uh, who's your Longhorn of the week this week? Oh man. Um... 
if Colt McCoy's defense was worth anything, he probably could have won <laughs> that game when he came in for Kyler. Uh, I mean, passed for 246 yards, plus he rushed for 24. He kind of put it all out there. Um, his defense was absolutely butt cheeks. Uh, he missed some open throws, though. Like, Colt McCoy is, like, pushing. Like, he's our age. Like, and you know, yeah. like, I, I slept wrong and my back hurt, so I can only imagine, like, what he's dealing with at the NFL level, taking those hits. Um, I think I'm still going to rock it with Colt just because it's good to see him uh, come in. Sucks to see him come in in that way. I mean, um, you know, we we have taken our shots at Kyler Murray, but we you know we never want to see a guy um, go down on a non-contact injury. We never want to see a guy injured. Um, but seeing Colt come in, he's probably going to carry the water for uh, Arizona for the rest of the year. And and um, I mean, it's also probably going to end up with the coach fired there because it's starting to get scary hours for them. But um, Colt, maybe win him a couple games, save his job. Uh, yeah, absolutely. The the weirdest, strangest thing is watching Colt McCoy. He only had one handoff in this game to a particular player, but to a, a guy who was recruited like 15 years after him uh, to the University of Texas, maybe not 15, Keontae Ingram. Pretty but, close. Um, I mean, like, like an entire generation of Longhorn football between them, uh, even though Keontae technically graduated from Two coaches between them. <laughs> That's fair. That is exactly really true. Well, like, one. Late stage Mac uh, Brown. Late stage Mac Brown feels like a separate coach from like Mac Brown. Mac yeah. Brown. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, but yeah, so that, that's always a little bit surreal. Um, there's an interesting kind of decision here because Marquis, you know, Dante Foreman, great. Uh, Hicks was, was solid for the Vikings as he's been all year. But my, it comes down to two for me. Marquis Goodwin, I love that he's like showing out and he and Geno Smith just have that connection. And he, you know, a lot of weeks is, is wide receiver one for the Seahawks, I think on six targets, had five catches for 95 and a touchdown. But you know I can't pass up a chance to praise uh, our guy, um, the now Ravens all-time franchise point leader, beating uh, Matt Stover, another kicking legend, especially for that franchise. Went three for three on Sunday and now holds the all-time franchise points record for the Ravens at 1466. I just imagine he'll play another 10 years and set that. It's something absolutely unbreakable. Um, we'll see. Uh, but he's still... Real good, and that's, of course, Justin Tucker. So, Gerald, the, the other piece of news um, to just kind of throw out there, like, it, it, I don't know how we want to play it. Let's start with news, and then we'll decide how uh, how heavy to, to take this. But I, I think he had a whimsical nature about him, and, I, and I've been seeing the, the, the stories make their way around the Internet, and I feel like he would enjoy that, the, the, the remembering of the best times. Of course, I'm talking about Mike Leach, the, uh, the pirate of West Texas, uh, the, the former longtime Texas Tech coach, Washington State coach, and, and current Mississippi State head coach has passed away at the young age of, of 61. Um, really tragic news when it first broke, kind of all of college football Twitter came together to both be shocked and, 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 and kind of pre-mourn, and, and it felt like we were just waiting for the official confirmation, sadly, um, and, and we did get that... Um, on Monday. Uh, so Mike Leach was a, was a, a truly one of a kind, right? Like it, the, the thing that I think you say about him is it's, it's very hard in this day and age to be one of a kind, right? Like he almost in every way and everything that he did, he was a lawyer who became a college football coach and he just, that doesn't happen. Um, he, he, you know, he leaned hard into the how mummy school and, and took it from this fringe, air raid thing that like no one really gave any credence or seriousness to to 
putting it on the national stage and making it real and relevant and changing college football and honestly probably football um, period point blank period there, there is a ton of credit deserved there a man who you know would talk about anything in his press conferences they came to him often pirates or uh, which animals he would or wouldn't fight just Cargo like shorts a fat yeah, a, a fascinating guy. He 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 had his spikes, and he could be a, a bit prickly, and and you know he he had some opinions that you know we probably didn't agree with everything on. But at the end of the day, he was lovable, quotable, um, and and truly as much as any person who comes to mind as I sit here and try to think of it fits the moniker of of. One of a kind, one of one, Mike Leach. It's weird to eulogize a man who said, like, I don't care how I'm eulogized, I'll be dead, right? Like, that's that's his, um, that was, he said that in an interview on ESPN. But um, when you think about, like, telling the story of modern football, like, you can't tell without Mike Leach. You, you, I think you said it really well. Like, Mike, Mike was going to be Mike, and Mike was going to be himself. And uh, I think that's something that, for better or for worse, I think Mike was going to be Mike. And, and a lot of us, I think, should take a, uh, a couple of pages from his book. And I, I, I think... I think as you sit and reflect on like what the impact he has, like one of the things that I, that comes to mind immediately for me, is like you and I have always talked about that, like the narrative about big 12 defenses being bad was never a product of the defense actually being bad. It was a product of the offenses being light years ahead of where the game of football should have been. And that was Mike Leach at Oklahoma. And then Mike Leach at Texas tech, right? Like that's what it was. Um, and so when you talk about like, we have said it on this podcast that like the big 12 seemingly is the incubator for the future of football, whether it's a new offenses or now the new defense is shutting down the new offenses, right? There's a reason why three high safeties have started in the big 12 and now we're kind of moving outside the country and people are um, coming to, to, Iowa State and seeing what Iowa State is doing to shut down these offenses and it all started with Mike Leach a, a guy who asked his wife do you want me to be miserable all day every day and when she said no that's when he decided to get into football um like it, it's it's important to to remember the impact that that man had and I think um the the craziest thing to me is um and this is something that I, that I hope they can do something about. Mike Leach is like three games below the threshold for being qualified for the College Football Hall of Fame as a coach. He's at like a 596 winning percentage. I think you have to be at 600. But if you exclude the 2020 year, he hits above 600. So I hope they, uh, for the sake of being able to tell the story of football, period, not just college football, not Big 12 football, not any, but football, period, the where football is now. We just talked about the Arizona Cardinals running things that come off of Mike Mike. Leach's system, right? In the NFL, um, you cannot tell the story of football without talking about Mike Leach. And so um, I hope to, to hope to all hopes that um, an exception is made or they exclude the 2020 season. Uh, I'm a big believer, like whether it, whether it, counting the 2020 season helps somebody or not counting the 2020 season helps somebody, just give everybody the benefit of the doubt in either direction uh, because that season was weird. That's right. And also that's why you extend Jimbo because he, he would have won a national championship that year. So. Should have. Um, anyways, <laughs> no, I, uh, uh, Leach is the reason that Tech has the expectations that they have, right? They were a different program across the board before he got there. Uh, they're still maybe not as good of a program as they think they have because he skewed things a bit. Um, and, and so, you know, that's fun too. Uh, but, you know, uh, a legend, uh, a truly a legend um, – for Texas fans, I guess it was good that, that he made his way out of tech and went elsewhere so we didn't have to play him every year. You can always thank um, Craig James uh, for, for that. And, you know, just we'll say when you talk about Mike Leach and, and Craig James, you know, you just remember to 
remember the five. But, um, I, you know, I, I'll just say uh, our sport will be less without Mike Leach. We, we love all college sports, but Gerald and I love college football. You know, we talk a lot about college football. A lot of you listen to this podcast because you love college football. It's a special, beautiful, silly, stupid, regionally specific, obscene, obscure, nonsensical, beautiful mess. And I don't know that anyone, honest to goodness, has embodied that as beautifully the past 20 years as, as Mike Leach. So um, a legend, uh, a presence, a figure no longer with us. It is unfortunate. We think of uh, the, the Mississippi State school family and, of course, the, the Leach, all of his family, um, and, and think of them during this time. Um, but, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll always have good memories there. And, and Gerald... So we head into the holiday season. Speaking of memories, let's transition out here and uh, have a little Godzillatron. What are you watching on your giant screen? For, again, I'll be giving everybody an update on our family night, pizza night, movie night, movies. We watched uh, 8-Bit Christmas this week. We watched it last year for the first time. Uh, it's on. It's an HBO original, if you haven't seen it. Um, it's Neil Patrick Harris telling his daughter the story of how, how he got uh, a Nintendo, or tried to get a Nintendo for Christmas in the 80s. But um, very much like a Christmas story, it's a, really just a story about like families and fathers and sons. Um, and I've already seen the movie, and I cried again at the ending. So like just take that for what it is. I'm also just a cry in general when it comes to movies so uh take that especially when it comes to like stories about fathers and sons i'm a father of three sons so like there's a lot of emotional um a lot of emotional baggage there for me i'm also a big proponent of i think a christmas carol is the quintessential christmas story when you think about like what christmas is about change and people changing and like the power of choices to make to change the world right and so um i've been on record as saying the muppet christmas carol is the definitive version of muppet of Christmas Carol. It is simultaneously faithful to like the story and the spirit of the story, but also does all of the fun Muppet things that Muppet Christmas Carol um, should do. Michael Caine plays it like he's not acting opposite of Kermit the Frog, and that's what makes it so freaking perfect. Um, so I we watch that every year. I love it. My kids don't love it as much, but I make them watch it. They will love it. Darn it. Uh, but then when they went to bed, my wife and I actually ended up watching, uh, we didn't know it at the time, uh, but another version of uh, Christmas Carol. So Spirited is an Apple Plus original movie starring Will Ferrell and uh, Ryan Reynolds, um, and it is basically a Christmas Carol told through the perspective of the ghost of Christmas present. And so he is uh, working to to try to change Ryan Reynolds and um, I, everything I want to say about the movie feels like a spoiler because I went in knowing very little about it other than like <laughs> it is a comedic version of um, Christmas Carol starring those two guys and um, I was surprised in some ways that I wasn't expecting and I think that made it really really fun um, if you're not a fan of like Will Ferrell being Will Ferrell and Ryan Reynolds being Ryan Reynolds skip it but if that's like your thing this movie will work for you I love it and I love those people specifically so I think it will be it'll be fun I, I, I'd seen it hadn't seen of it hadn't seen the movie um, so I'm all right, I'm 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 in. Uh, you've intrigued me here, uh, Gerald. A, a movie that was um, my wife was 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 very much pushing. Like we need to watch this. I think we actually almost watched it in theaters. And as you've heard on this podcast, we don't watch much in theaters. Um, but it was number one or number two on Netflix the other day, and and finally she's like, "We're doing it, They're right?" And so we did. We watched Bullet Train, which um, was fun. 
I like it was another like of the I don't know what you maybe you maybe you know this, Gerald. What do you call the genre of the you know, the the suspense whodunit, the the knives out, the uh, you know, I don't think you can put the my last week's everywhere all the time at once. <laughs> they come at you all, all together. Um whatever. But you know, like that genre of just like surreal uh, suspense like mystery? Yeah, what what do you Mystery, I guess. Yeah, it's, the, it's like the, very much like Agatha Christie on on like drugs kind of situation. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like the, this new kind of. It feels like it's probably been in non-American cinema for a long time because a lot of times the best ones are are adapted. Like a Guy um, Ritchie, I think. Like like sure. snatch, I, I, lock, stock, I, I, and two I, smoking I, barrels, like that yeah, kind of situation. I, I love. I love all of those. I just don't know. Maybe, maybe I maybe I need to do some more thinking on how you know because I, I I used to Netflix of 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 your used to have like. You know, like descriptive genres, it would be like witty cop banter murder movie. You know, like uh, dark horror kids show. But, and you're like, but, what? You know, buddy cop with interracial <laughs> cop pairing. <laughs> Correct. Like it was. They they let their algorithm show it. It was kind of ridiculous. I don't think they do that they anymore. Do but anyways, like I I I don't know what this genre would be. Uh, but I like it. Is what I've learned. Um, and, and I don't know that I knew that I liked it. But I I, I love Knives Out. Um, and and Bullet Train. Like for the first thirty minutes, like my wife actually looked at me and she's like, "Is this gonna be my new favorite movie?" Um, it doesn't like maybe keep it up in, in the high speed train metaphor I'm trying to pull off here. Like maybe uh, it goes off the rails a little bit and, and I don't specifically mean that literally. Um, it's good. It's good all the way through. You should watch it. It's fun. Especially if you like those types of films I just laid out. Um, it's a good, you know, don't think too much. Just enjoy it. Uh, it has uh, Brian, uh, was it Tyree Henry um, from from Atlanta, who's this wonderful thespian, classically trained, doing a, a hilarious character and British accent. Um, th- both the British characters are, are phenomenal in it. There's some some really interesting, a bunch of cameos, right? Like everyone's makes, including Ryan Reynolds, makes a makes a cameo in it at some point. Brad Pitt is the is the star vehicle. It's great. It's probably less like. Perfect uh, than some of the others in that genre, but it's it's worth a watch. Um, the other thing I, I, I watched, and and actually right before this podcast was was catching up a little bit. Uh, I think my wife probably went on without me and and uh, finished uh, the, the second uh, episode. Is is Harry and Meghan? It's Netflix documentary, of course, um, chronicling um, Harry Styles and his uh, assistant. No, I'm kidding. Uh, Prince Harry uh, and and Meghan Markle. Um, Really interesting, like, it's such a story, and I don't care about royals at all, like, I just don't. I was in London over the summer, and I saw some things, and it's cool, but then, like, I came home, and I don't, I don't care. I watched Downton Abbey, and they talked about the royals, and I didn't feel the need to watch, uh, what's the big Netflix show about the royals, the queen, or whatever? Yeah, that's what I think um, Sure. Never felt compelled. I just don't really care. Like, we won Fought in 1776. Yeah, exactly. So I don't have to care. Um but this story has pulled me in a little bit because it's the modern version of how awful and how tough and like obviously in this case racist um, some of the stuff that's happened is and, and obviously the, the like cycle of uh, Harry's mother, Princess Diana, basically being murdered by crazy British tabloid paparazzi and then Harry and Meghan being run out of the royal family because of it. Uh, it's it's really interesting, and it was interesting to get there. I watched the Oprah special and and kind of was like, oh okay, like I, I see why this is interesting, and and I, I find Meghan to be pretty spectacular. Like she's an actress who's who's 
beautiful, but she's like very smart and a humanitarian, and she's an interesting person. Um, and and it, it's funny to watch people like reduce those characteristics down because she happens to possess possess a, a certain specific like racial profile. It's it's interesting to me. Um, but she's just like incredibly I don't know watching it with my wife and, and I think I've mentioned on this podcast before um, also I, I, I am in an interracial marriage and, and I, my wife is, is black and um, watching it and like some of the things that like it's like oh uh, they went through that in the beginning of their relationship too you know it's quaint and then it gets to like oh no we didn't have to deal with that that's pretty crazy but it, it, it was an interesting watch um, I think Harry is so media trained that like he's perfectly charming and savvy and always says the right thing uh, but he also just seems like he loves this woman more than anything in the entire world. And, and again, I'm like Gerald, a big giant sap who uh, loves a little romance and, and loves, you know, someone just loving their, their, their partner unabashedly. So I watched, I have just a few more minutes to, to finish um, and have enjoyed it. Thought it was interesting. Definitely worth the watch because it's told from their point of view. I feel like a lot of the story has been told by others taking control of it and just telling it and spewing it and machine gunning it. Um, and so it's nice for them to get the chance to, to tell from their point of view. So if any royalists are listening to this podcast and, and want to just burn up the mentions, um, feel free to feel free to hit me up on my personal maybe not on the podcast one on 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 at kyle carbon or at texas pregamer kyle to be honest with you i told my wife she could watch that one without me and it's fine it's okay but we will watch bullet train i almost watched it on a plane a couple weeks back i might end up watching it on a plane um tomorrow so um but that's part of the show where we honor quickly one of the best traditions in all of college athletics big bertha and we bang the drum brought to you by joe ruiz so kyle what are you banging the drum on this week? I actually, I, I meandered there. I rambled a bit because I thought that was our last segment. I will be quick. I know I say that sometimes and then give a 12-minute answer. I will be quick with my bang the drum. Um, I'm going to do Stat Boy first, of course. Um, I believe when we talked about All-Americans, we didn't throw Jalen Ford as third-team AP All-American in there, so apologies to our guy. Uh, incredible honor. Really, really well-deserved. Um, and then I don't know if we mentioned in the portal section that, that Junior Angelao, we'll probably talk more about that. Um, but, you know, offensive line, sixth-year uh, player who, you know, if he came back, would be um, kind of in the mix with some guy. I don't know. I, I think Angelao had a spot if he wanted it, um, but I, I understand and respect his decision. And, again, he graduated. He's, he's a – Longhorn alum and will love and respect and cheer for wherever he goes. Um, I'll just say Mike hit on it and talked about it. The The World Cup being in the winter is crazy because there's so much other stuff going on. It feels weird. It's fun as a novelty. Um, I can't wait for it to get back to normal because it fits where it, where it usually falls, where it has everything is dedicated to it. Like I've missed games where I wanted to watch them, but I still watch an obscene amount. It's really interesting. We talked about it with Bijan leaving the 40 acres. This has been a World Cup that also saw a passing of the garden. Probably people said that at the last World Cup, but this probably almost certainly is that. And of course, you know, Lionel Messi is going to the final. Um, a, a true, maybe just singularly great, uh, by almost any metric, the greatest soccer player of all time. Cristiano Ronaldo was here, and, and as a Manchester United fan, I love Cristiano Ronaldo. Uh, but his body just has has let him down, both at the club level and the international level. He, his brain wants to do things, and we saw it when Gerald and I are both fans of Tim Duncan. Like it's so sad when you watch a legend 
still feel like and know that they can do it mentally and they're putting in the work physically, but their body is just that step slower in a, in a sport that is all about nanoseconds um, or sports that are that are that way. And so it's it's kind of been sad to watch that. But um, the same way we said with Bijan all season, like if you're not planning to do it, do it. Tune in. Watch the World Cup final um, with Lionel Messi in it. He's he's it is it is the last time you'll get to see. Um, the greatest player of all time, or, you know, arguably if you really want to get crazy, maybe the top three at worst of all time, um, lift his country and he's hasn't ever won one. So it's a big deal. Um, we're recording this on Tuesday. So we don't know if it's France or Morocco, Morocco, the Cinderella of all Cinderella's, um, could get there, uh, more likely France, um, which, you know, reigning champion, another storyline. This has just been a fun World Cup, even if I am not pleased with Qatar, not pleased with some of the stuff that's gone on, not pleased um, with everything that led up, the deaths of the workers and all of that. Like, if you take it out and you forget where you're watching this World Cup, just the soccer of it all, the drama has been better than our, our, our last few. And so um, watch the final, watch Leo Messi, and then go back to tweeting about why Qatar, you know, is actually not the greatest uh, country in the world, like the propaganda will tell you. Um, but, you know, it's still the World Cup. My last travel of the year for work is happening recently, uh, and so I don't know where I'll be at. But I'm making the room this week on NIL. So um, there's this weird conversation about people thinking that NIL is enough to keep some guys with legitimate NFL contracts in their future in college and in um like as much as NIL is changing the game and allowing guys who may who may be late round players get some some Skrilla, um, there is not an NIL deal big enough to get a guy like Bijan Robinson to come back. Like at least in my estimation, um, and it's not just about the rookie contract, especially at a running back who's now got a legitimate ESPN has projected him as the number five pick in the NFL draft. Like. Yes, the rookie contract, you could probably compete with a year of that. But when it comes to the NFL, and specifically with running backs, it's all about contract number two. Ezekiel Elliott got paid. His great-grandchildren will be living off of his contract two money. Like, that is where... And so, taking hits in college, whereas you can probably shorten your career that way, uh, you want to shorten the time to, to contract two. And so, um, as much as we love seeing these guys on campus in Inburn Orange, like... Go out and get paid. Like Bijan, Roshan, go out and get paid. We will see you. We will be back. Hopefully, again, a visit week is scheduled for your bye weeks. You can come and help recruit some kids to Texas. Uh, but, yeah, go get paid. NIL is not going to be a drop in the bucket to his second contract in the NFL. And that's all we've got for you this week. Kyle, where can good folks find you on the Internet? As I mentioned, you can tweet at me at Kyle Carpenter, also at the Texas Pregamer, at Texas Pregamer. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at GH Goodrich. Follow show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. Facebook and Instagram, the Longhorn Republic. Or shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. We'll be back next week on Wednesday through the holiday break. And then in two weeks, we'll give you an Alamo Bowl preview with our friends over at the Dog Pound. Thank you so much for tuning in again this weekend. Until next time, hook them. Hook them. Don't forget to get those college football bowl brackets in.